This morning we're going to be talking about discovering God's will. And before we go into the message, I want to talk a little bit about our history here in America in the last 100 years. And it's very interesting as we discuss this, how it relates to discovering God's will for our life. Let's uh, talk quickly about the greatest generation. Let's talk a little bit about the baby boomers. Then we're going to talk about my generation, the X generation. And then we'll finish off with the millennials. So if I skip one, just let me know, okay? Uh, the greatest generation. Who is the greatest generation? Uh, about a week ago, my daughter came up to me and she said, Daddy, Daddy, you got to take me to see the latest American Girl movie. And, you know, I really didn't want to go. But I went ahead and took her. So I took her to see this movie called Kit Kittridge. And I walked away from that movie just so blessed and so encouraged. I said, you know, we got to show that movie in church one day. And the movie Kit Kittridge, or American Girl movie, is about Americans going through the Great Depression. Okay? It was an incredible movie. It talked about selling eggs. It talked about taking in borders. It talked about serving soup to people in the local soup kitchen. It talked about how to save money, how to clip coupons. So if there is anything that has come out of Hollywood in the past couple of months that is a positive and good message for the American people, it's this movie, Kit Rich. If you haven't seen the movie, go take your kids to see it today. Like Matthew said, if you're 9 or 90, if you're 90 years old, go see that movie uh, later on today. It's just a great movie, and it's a great message. So the greatest generation is the generation of Americans that lived through the Great Depression. And basically their attitude was this. They didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring. They didn't know if they were going to make it. They didn't know if they were going to survive. They didn't know if there was a future for America. They didn't know anything. But what did they do? They had their trust and their hope in their God. They took one day at a time. Right? They were focused. They were determined. They didn't know what tomorrow would bring. I mean, they literally could not plan for tomorrow. They lived day by day. The hardy, red-blooded, true Americans of their day. That's the greatest generation. That's a great generation. When the baby boomers came around, the baby boomers had a different attitude. They had a different worldview. They had a different perspective. They had it all planned out. Right? When I graduate from high school, I'm going to go in such and such a college. When I graduate from that college, I'm going to buy such and such a car, a Packard, a Ford, whatever. I'm going to work in, for such and such a company for how many years? For life. Right? I'm going to retire at age 65. I'm going to buy this World War II era house. I'm going to, we're going to raise our kids. Everything was planned to the T. So from one generation, living day by day, trusting in the Lord, trusting that everything would turn out to the next generation, the boomer generation, where everything is planned. What came after that generation? My generation. The X generation. The X generation is the generation that was raised in divorce. That's the generation that was raised in the single parent home. That is the generation that was raised that, you know what? The world may end tomorrow. They may be a nuclear bomb. They may be a, be a nuclear holocaust. So what's the point in planning? So many people, when they look at the X generation, they look at the X generation as almost a nihilistic generation. Right? There is no tomorrow. There's no reason to hope. Who cares? Let's tune out. Let's check out. Let's just do our thing. Let's just do what's good for the moment. 
And then we move on to the current generation, this young generation, the millennial generation. Now the millennial generation, that's a very unique story. And I know that there are some of you that know a lot about the millennial generations. I know a lot of you have read books about it. You're in Fuller. You're in education, preparing for ministry. And this is the generation that you're studying about right now. And the millennial generation, they may not even plan for the next 10 minutes. Right? Everything is so spontaneous. Everything is so right now. It, you know, our culture, our society is moving at the speed of light right now. You know, when you talk about Hollywood and Madison Avenue, you know, they are totally marketing millions and millions of dollars to this millennial generation. It's the millennial generation, it's this junior high generation right now that they are moving our economy, right? They are the ones that are buying the CDs, they're buying the Apple stuff, or their parents are buying it for them, right? They're buying all that Hannah Montana stuff. You know, they're going to the American Girl store, what I talked about at the beginning. So from the greatest generation to the boomer generation to the X generation to the millennial generation, our society has gone through many shifts and many paradigm shifts. So the question this morning is how does God's will play into all of this? Where does God's plan, where does God's purpose play into all of this? You know, we live in a society where either we go about our lives spontaneously, whatever will be, will be, or we go through our lives planning everything to the T, from the house to the color of everything in the house, to the retirement, to the vacations. We have two, three, four years planned in advance. So the big question this morning is where does God's will and purpose and plan fall into any of this? Since it seems that we have everything already so well taken care of. Now, a couple of years ago, Rick Warren came out with his best-selling book, The Purpose-Driven Life, and he made millions. Rick Warren made so much money from those books that he actually went to his church on a Sunday morning and he wrote a check. And he gave back to the church all the money and salary they had given him over the years. And right now, Rick Warren doesn't collect the salary from Saddleback Church because so much money came in from those books. Uh... About a year ago, Joel Olstein came out with another book. Anybody know the title of that book? Your Best Life Now, or You Can Have the Best Life Right Now. So as we can see, there's a big spiritual hunger in our society. There's a big spiritual hunger within the church about finding out, hey, does God have a plan? Does God have a will for my life? Does God have a perfect will for my life? So sir, there are some of us this morning that you may have this attitude, well, you know, don't bother me with God's will. You know, I have my plan. And then there are some of us this morning that actually have a hunger and a thirst, and you want to know what God's will for your life is. You want to know what plan God has for you. So I have some important key questions up on the overhead that I just want to kind of put out there. And hopefully as we go through the message this morning, we'll be able to answer some of these Big life question. So the first one, we kind of already went over it. Does God really have a sovereign will for my life? Does God really have a sovereign will for my life? The next one. The first one was more from the perspectives of a believer. The second one is Joe Blow on the street. Is there really such a thing as destiny or fate? I think a lot of people are asking that question. The next one. Can I truly, truly know what is God's perfect will for my life? If God does have a will, 
if God does have a plan for my life, how am I going to find out? Can I really know what His plan is? And then the last one, which I think is the biggest one, is am I willing to surrender to God's will? Am I willing to surrender and yield to that will? Now my experience has been over the years, when God reveals His will, His plan, when God speaks clearly to us, and He tells us what choice or what decision to make, and we don't like that decision, we don't like that choice, what do we start doing? We start praying until we find the answer that we want to hear, right? When God finally tells you what He wants you to do, the sacrifice He wants you to make, to go into ministry or take a certain job or do whatever, and we don't like it, we don't like the answer, what do we, what do we start doing? We start calling people, getting advice and counsel until we get what? The answer we want to hear. So you might have come this morning and said, knowing God's will, there's no way on earth I can find out God's will. Well, how about this one? Once you find God's will for your life, are you going to end up implementing it in your life anyways? See, that's why this morning we uh, chose the story of Jonah. Jonah is the reluctant prophet. So I want to go into this message. This is just the introduction. We haven't even prayed or anything. Okay, We're just doing intro right now. The reason we chose the reluctant prophet Jonah is because I'm coming to you with this hypothesis. This is my hypothesis. I believe it's in our nature, it's in our human nature to resist God's will. I believe it's in our sinful nature to resist God's will. That's going to be our default. Whatever God's will is, we're going to resist it. Okay? It's kind of like that little story about um, a scorpion and a frog that wanted to cross the river. Because a big river. So the scorpion asked the frog, can you give me a ride across the river? And uh, the frog says, no, I'm not going to give you a, a ride across the river because you're going to sting me, you're going to kill me. And the scorpion said, no, no, I'm not. I promise. Because if I were to sting you, we both would die. So the scorpion gets on the frog and halfway across the river, what does the scorpion do? He stings the frog. So as they're sinking to their death, the frog looks at the scorpion and said, why did you do that? And the scorpion said, because it's in my nature. So this morning, our nature, our human nature is to be sinful. Our nature, our human nature is to be selfish, to be self-centered, to be proudful and not humble. So when God does us the great favor, when God bestows upon us the great privilege of revealing His will for your life, for my life, I am saying, this is my opinion here, that our first reaction may be our reluctance to carry out that will. Can anyone relate to that this morning? Right? Sometimes it's better not to know God's will. The flesh says that, right? Sometimes it's better just to go our way in ignorant bliss, doing our old thing, and leave God out of it so we're not accountable to that. Right? But if you want to live that purpose-driven life, if you want to live a life of abundance, if you want to live a life that's going to make a difference in this world, in your world, find out what's God's will for your life, and be willing and open to surrendering to God's will. And uh, i got some quick scriptures here. 
things we can be sure about before we get into the story of Jonah. We're not going to take a lot of time. We're just going to read through these. Um, this is good and this is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to a knowledge of truth. This we know about. This is God's will for the for all of humanity is for everyone to be saved. Anyone say amen to that? Amen. The next one. For I know the plans I have for you, declared the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and future. So God's will for all of us this morning is to prosper you. Jesus said, I came to give you life in abundance. So we know this. The next one, from Philippians. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So we know this for everyone this morning. God is working in all of our lives right now. And He's promised to complete that good work in your life. And then the last one really here, really quick here from Romans 12. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So let's pray before we get into the story of Jonah here. Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father God, I thank you, Lord, just for this opportunity for us to explore your will. And I pray right now that we would just open our hearts and open our minds, that we would surrender our attitudes to what you have to say to us this morning through your word. And Father God, if there is someone here that's lost, looking for direction, if there's someone here needing focus, maybe there is someone here right now that's doubting their calling. Maybe someone right now is in a marriage, they're in a job job situation. Maybe they're in a church and they're doubting, is this where God wants me? Is this what God has planned for my life? I pray this morning that that person would find their answer through your spirit, Lord God. Bless each person that's here today, I pray. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Now as we get to the story of Jonah, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles in the Old Testament to Jonah. So let's just open up to Jonah. Okay, it's near the end of the Old Testament, right before Matthew. Okay. Now I want to say a couple of things about Jonah before we get into it. Um, I think I was around eight or nine years old when I read through the book of Jonah. I was just a kid. And when I read through Jonah for the first time, I mean, I really, really read it. Not that I watched it in a cartoon or I saw something on TV or I heard a pastor or a Sunday school teacher teach about Jonah. I remember clearly when I was a little boy and I read through the book of Jonah that I realized for the first time in my life that God has a sense of humor. How many of you believe this morning that God has a sense of humor? You believe God has a sense of humor, right? Every morning when you get up and you look in the mirror, you realize God has a sense of humor, right? Hopefully not when you wake up and you look at your spouse, oh, God has a sense of humor. Not that way. But I realize that God has a sense of humor. Because the story of Jonah is an epic story. It's an incredible story. It's about a city that was going to be destroyed. And the prophet comes. 
And the city is saved. It's about revival and awakening. It's about renewal and transformation. It's an incredible story. But I love the way the book of Jonah ends. Because at the end of the book of Jonah, it says, and there was a lot of cows there too. And that just really struck me as really funny. Because as a little boy, I'm reading the Bible, I'm saying, oh, God is so serious. This is such a serious thing. People matter. It's all about winning the lost and, and the lost souls. But those last couple of verses of Jonah where it says, and there was a lot of cows there too, what that shows me is that God not only cares about people, but care, God cares about what? God cares about the world. Right? God cares about cows, probably cares about the trees and the grass, right? And cares about us cutting back and not wasting and not using stuff so much, right? That kind of speaks to what's going on in our society today. So I realized that God has a total sense of humor when I went through the book of Jonah. So we're going to begin this morning. We have five points. If you can take out your teaching notes, we're going to do some fill-in this morning. And we're going to get started right now. The story of Jonah. Got a picture of Jonah sitting on that whale. And God has a sense of humor. Can you imagine Jonah going into the local sports bar? Okay? Can you imagine Jonah going into a local sports bar and there's a bunch of guys playing pool and Jonah walks in there and they go, Hey Jonah, where's your whale? (laughs) I mean, isn't that funny? I mean, do you think Jonah could or would ever live that down? Would he and that whale were stuck together for the rest of eternity? That tells me that God has a sense of humor. God has a sense of humor. Okay, we already established that point. Let's move on here. Okay, point number one. I can begin discovering God's will for my life by obeying Him. Okay? By obeying Him. So let's read the Scripture. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. What a rascal, huh? What a scoundrel. The reluctant prophet. As quickly as God asked Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh, Jonah turned around and went the other way. He literally did an about-face, and he went completely in the next and the other direction. And as I read this story, I identify with this story. I relate to this story. I consider myself a reluctant prophet. Now, many years ago in ministry... uh, I bumped into a senior pastor. I was in Providence, Rhode Island. I was there for biennial. We were going to be having biennial here next year. So I bumped into a senior pastor. I was, my wife and I were living in, in the Northeast. And he said, Eddie, you know, you've come recommended to me by, by, by several people. And we really want you to come to our church. We want you to become the Spanish pastor. And I called my wife and I told her, listen, I just bumped into the senior pastor. He wants us to come and work with him in the Spanish ministry. And you have to understand, I was raised in Spanish church. I was raised singing the Coritos, right? That, that, was, that was all I knew. And when he, when he asked me to come, I, I wasn't that enthused. 
I wanted to broaden my horizons. I wanted to do other different things. And uh, flew me to California. Uh, we went to check out the Spanish ministry the church had. The Spanish ministry the church had was very small. It was 30, 40 people in a chapel. Orange carpet. The most 70s looking place you can imagine. And they basically had one guy up in the front with a guitar. One guy and a guitar. I kind of felt like I was in a, one of those border churches. Have you ever been down to Baja to do missions work? And you've gone to those little churches? Okay, that was the church. And, uh, you know, I had graduated from Fuller. You know, like, oh, I want to be the next Billy Graham. I'm going to change the world. I'm going to do all this stuff. But the Lord was calling me to this small ministry. And my wife and I, we prayed about it. And the Lord told us to do it. And guess what we did? We did it. But I, I went in reluctantly. I didn't go in with a lot of expectations. I didn't think the ministry was going to grow. How is it going to grow? Look at what we had. We had one guy, da -dun -da -dun -da -dun, not a lot of people on orange carpet. Okay, the orange carpet's a killer. But after a couple of months, guess what started to happen? The church started to grow. And started to grow. Every year the church would grow. We literally had to move from the chapel into our gymnasium. The church invested $80,000 new chairs, sound system, the works, because the church started to grow, grew, grew past 200 people, like in a matter of two years. And when people ask me, well, what, 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 what was the secret? How did it happen? What did you do? I said, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. I, in fact, I came with a bad attitude. I came reluctantly. Ah, oh, I don't want to do it. This is not me. I did that when I was 18, 14. When, when, I, when I was 13, 14 years old, I planted a church with my mom in South Central Los Angeles. Da -dun, da -dun, da -dun, da -dun. I did that. And it was hard, but I surrendered my will to God. I went reluctantly, and God blessed that ministry. And it grew. And we had so many new people coming. Every Sunday, church people would say, Pastor Eddie, here's a new person. They want to get involved. They want a ministry. They want to do stuff. I literally had to tell people, No! You've got to be disciples first. Six months, maybe a year. You've got to get discipled. You've got to get to know the Bible. You've got to get to know Jesus. But we want to serve. You want to do something now? No! I literally had to tell people no. And how hard do we work now to get people to have that attitude? Right? But that's what happens when God is moving. And you can't give me any of the credit. I don't get any of the credit. I didn't do anything. It was all God. Because I went in there reluctantly. Just like Jonah. That's why I identify with Jonah. Okay? So maybe you're Jonah today. Maybe you're doing something reluctantly. Maybe you don't want to be here. Maybe you don't want to be in a marriage. You don't want to be in a relationship. Maybe you don't want to be in the ministry you're in. Who knows? Another story from my past. When I was a young man about 19 years old, in Bible college, and I was also in the Army Reserves in Lafayette, Louisiana, I was part of the 4073rd Reception Station. Later, I was mobilized for Operation Desert Storm. I was in this one particular unit as a chaplain assistant. I was a private. I was a nobody. There was about three to 500 people in my unit. And we had a chaplain. He was a full bird colonel. And he wanted to be a general. And one day, he called me into the office and he said, Ledesma, I'm going to be leaving the unit and I'm going down to New Orleans. Because if I go down to New Orleans, there's a general slot. And when I go down there, they're going to make me a general. So, nice to know you. I'm leaving. And I said to myself, hmm, I wonder what we're going to do without a, without a chaplain. You know? So the next weekend I went in, 
the chief warrant officer called me into his office and he said, Ledesma, I heard that you're in Bible college. Yes, sir. I'm 19 years old. Well, we don't have a chaplain, as you know. Uh-huh. Yes, sir. I want you to start doing the preaching on Sundays here with the troops. I said, what? You want me? I'm a private. I'm a nobody. I want you. I heard you're in Bible college. So God put me in a situation that I didn't even know about, and an opportunity arose where God gave me this incredible opportunity to minister to over 300 soldiers. They also had the uh, choice. Either they can go marching outside on Sunday morning, or they could come into service. <laughs> so most of them picked the service. Right? And I'm, I'm walking down the hallways like a little private, you know, and the drill sergeant would say, Ledesma? I go, yes. Is there service this Sunday? Uh-huh. I'll be there. And the Lord even started to bless that ministry. You know, I had more and more soldiers getting excited, getting involved, asking me about the Lord. See, it's all about wherever the Lord has put you. But what do we want? We want to go to Tarshish, right? We want to get on the cruise boat. No, 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 no. no that, that's not God's will. That, that, that can't be God's will. I want to go over here and do something over here. I relate to it. Maybe you relate to it. This really speaks to me. These are some of the things that I've noticed that we do when we're trying to discover God's will in our lives. Seven things here. I think you're going to find these interesting. You may want to write it down somewhere. Okay? Things we do that gets in the way of God's will. Number one. Well, I'm just going to wait around until something turns up. Okay? Whatever happened to ask and seek and knock? What did Jesus teach? What did Jesus teach? Go. Find, knock, seek, get up, get motivated, action, walk, get out of the boat, do something. Don't just sit around, oh, we're just sitting around here waiting for all the people to come. What's the plan? Oh, you know, we're just waiting on God. You know, they're, oh, they're just going to start filing in door stores. We're just waiting for them to show up. Does Jesus teach that? Does Jesus talk like that? He says, get up, go, communicate, preach, teach, cast out demons, heal, proclaim my word, seek, knock, walk, run, take action, get motivated, get out there. But what do we do sometimes? Wait till something turns up. Okay. Number two, keep begging God to make the choices for us. Okay. Well, maybe God will choose. You know, let Him make the choice for us. Number three, wait for the right doors to open and the wrong doors to close. These sound good. Number four, choose whatever relieves our anxiety the most. In other words, whatever is the easiest decision to make. Okay? Number five, how about this one? Ask a wise person to make a decision for us. Okay? Maybe my mom will make the decision for me. Maybe my best friend will make the decision for me. Number six. I'm just looking for a sign. Just waiting for God to give me a sign. What did Jesus tell that generation? This generation looks for signs. Mm-mm. And number seven. Test God. I'm going to put out a fleece. Maybe. If it works. If. Right? So these are all the things that we do as a default. 
to find out what God's will is. Point number two. I can learn to yield to God's will through prayer and humbling myself. I want us to read this incredible prayer that Jonah prayed when he was in the belly of that great fish. Incredible prayer. He had a breakthrough in that belly. Okay? He had the breakthrough in the belly. You just want to read the whole thing in your Bibles? Let's look at Jonah chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Let's just read the whole thing. It's so good. And then in the slide, it'll pick up at verse 7. So we'll just keep that slide up there. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. Now verse 7. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you and to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you and look at the word here. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And then in verse 10, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So Jonah was able to yield to God's will because he prayed and he humbled himself. Okay, two things. Two things you've got to be really careful about when you pray. Okay? When you ask the Lord for more faith, what is God going to do? When you ask the Lord for more faith, what situation is He going to put you in when you ask for more faith? He's going to put us in difficult situations to stretch our faith. You've got to be careful when you ask for more faith. Now, do you ever ask the Lord to humble you? Think about that. Would you, uh, would you ever knowingly say, Lord, humble me? What is the Lord going to do if, he, if, he, uh, if you ask Him to humble you? What's He going to do? He's going to humble you. It's like what I, when, I, when, when, I, when I work with the college group. I remember when I worked with the college group in, in, in a ministry that I had before. And I would tell the college students, you've got to be very specific when you pray. If you need a car, don't say, Lord, give me a car. Say, Lord, give me a good car. Because sometimes those college students are driving those unsafe jalopies because they're not praying specific enough. Don't just get on your knees and say, Lord, give me a girlfriend. He's going to give you Leah. Right? You gotta say, Lord, give me the most beautiful, intelligent, smart, and rich girlfriend. <laughs> right? You don't just say, Lord, give me a new job. It might be as bad as the one you're already in. You say, Lord, give me a great job where I can use my gifts and my talents. So you have to be very specific when you pray. You gotta be careful. 
So I don't know if we should ever pray and say, Lord, humble me. Because if you say, Lord, humble you, He's going to pummel you. He's going to humble you. Okay? So Jonah was in a very humbling situation. God was breaking him and humbling him because he was in the belly of that great fish. In other words, God is so powerful, omnipotent. God is so influential in our lives. He wants to see His will fulfilled in your life. Even though you may take a detour, even though you may make the biggest mistake and you say, forget it now. You know, I've really screwed up. I've really messed up. I had a calling on my life. I had gifts and talents when I was young. But I've really screwed up. There's no way God's going to use me now. Is that true? Uh Uh-uh. Because God's will, God's power is so awesome that even though you're on a detour, He will send a fish to get you and bring you back and put you on course. And then Jonah, in that belly of the whale, he made a vow. He said, Lord, I'm going to fulfill it. I'm going to do it. I give you my word. And when he broke and when he said that, God commanded that fish to throw him up on the beach. And then Jonah went to work in Nineveh. So let's continue. Point number three. Implementing God's will in my life will bring about what? Sadness? Implementing God's will in my life is going to bring about what? Confusion? Yes or no? Implementing God's will is going to bring failure in my life? No! Implementing God's will is going to bring about great results. What happens when we implement our will? Pain? What happens when we implement what we want to do? Suffering? What happens when we implement our wills and our plans? Discouragement? What's the word? Say it again. Problems! Implementing God's will in my life will bring about great results. Verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day Jonah started in the city, he proclaimed, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction He had threatened. Implementing God's will produces great results. How many converts did Noah have? 120 years, he was a preacher of righteousness. How many converts did Noah have? You could say zero, but we're going to count his family. Right? It's like those small churches that you go to where the pastor does the preaching and the wife does the piano and the kids are the band and his mother-in-law and his mom collect the offering. It's like one of those one-family churches. Have you ever been to one? Okay? You've been to one? I've been to one. So Noah preached 120 years. He didn't really have a lot of converts. Okay? And he was such a great guy. Wasn't Noah such a great guy? He was a, he was a preacher of righteousness. He was a good man. And here we have Jonah with his attitude, with his reluctancy, I don't want to do it. Outright rebellion in God's face. Talk to the hand, God. I'm going to Tarshish. 
to the face of God. And he goes to Nineveh, and it's not this elaborate, eloquent, Billy Graham-type sermon. It's not this Rick Warren, Bill Hybels thing with PowerPoint and dance and music and drama. Yeah, 40 days, that's it, you guys got it. I'm, I'm out of here. That was Jonah. Yeah, you guys have 40 days. Bye. Can you just imagine that? Right? Knock, knock, knock. You got 40 days. Bye. Okay? That was Jonah. That was his sermon. You know? And what happened? A great revival. A great awakening. Why were the people so ready to convert? Because of Jonah's great preaching? No. Because God had prepared... He had prepared their hearts. Because when you're in God's will for a job, when you're in God's will for a relationship, a spouse, a marriage, a ministry, a church, when you're in God's will, God has already gone before you and prepared it. You're following me? And many times, when you do whatever it is you want to do, because of stubbornness or pride or whatever you want to call it, when you do it your way, you say to yourself, man, why is it so hard? Man, why is it so difficult? Why is it like we're going up a mountain? Has anyone experienced that? Right? Why does it feel like I'm going the wrong way? Hello, because you probably are going the wrong way. And we force the issue, we force the issue, and we get on our hands and we get on our knees and we pray, and then God puts us back on His course. Implementing God's will brings about great results. Okay. Number four, surrendering your will to God may cause you pain and discomfort. Okay? It's not going to be all roses. You're going to get a kick out of this one. Jonah 4, verses 1 through 5. It's two more, two more points left and we're done. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Ooh. He prayed to the Lord, Oh Lord, is that not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who, re- who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah wants to die now because these people have come to the Lord. Look at verse 4. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Now check this out. Look at verse 5. This is so interesting. Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in the shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Okay, check this out. When Jonah had finished preaching, and the whole city turned to the Lord, Jonah at that moment was released, and he could have gone back home, or to Tarshish. But what did Jonah decide to do, this stubborn rascal that he is. What did he decide to do? What does the Bible say? Hmm. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to wait to see what really happens to that city. I'm going to see. I'm going to have front row seats to the fire and brimstone. I'm going to see if God really is going to rescue those people. Can you imagine that attitude? I mean, can you imagine that in life? You want to have a ministry and God gives you a ministry, but your attitude is sour about it? We do that all the time. We're no different than this guy. You pray and pray, Lord, use me, Lord, use me. And the Lord uses you. Then you get all sour. Hmm. 
Or maybe it's with your family, with the kids and the spouse. This is what the Lord's giving you. Or church, or relationships, or family, or at your work. So Jonah had this attitude. He wanted to see if this city would be destroyed or not. So he was going through a lot of pain and discomfort. He didn't, he didn't understand what God's heart was all about. What is God's heart? Point number five. What is God's heart? What is His will for Himself? Here it is. It's in that funny verse that I talked about at the beginning. Jonah 4.11 But Nineveh, this is God's reasoning, this is God's rationale to show compassion to this city. But Nineveh was more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right from their left. And many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? See, that's God's heart. God's heart is lost souls. God's heart are lost people. God's heart is saving this world. That may not have been Jonah's heart. And the Bible says that God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. It's all through the Old Testament and the New Testament to save this world. In the Old Testament, we talked about Noah. I want you to think about that ark of Noah. It was an ugly box that looked like a coffin that was put together with mud. But that ark was the salvation of the world. You see that? And if you look at the New Testament, you look at the cross of Jesus Christ. That cross for a lot of people is foolishness. That cross for a lot of people is something that you punish a thief or a murderer on. But that cross for us, that cross for you and me, represents salvation. That's God's heart. That's what motivates God. That's His will. That's His desire. That's His purpose, is to see lost people saved, to see people restored. God is in the business of restoring and redeeming cities. Cities like Pasadena and Altadena or Glendale or Arcadia or Monrovia or wherever it is you live. That's God's heart, to redeem those cities. So at this moment, we're going to bow our heads and we're going to pray. I don't know if some of the things we talked about this morning were able to answer some of your questions that you had, if you had any doubts about the Lord's will. I pray you found some answers. If you haven't found answers, if you haven't found peace, I pray that in the next couple of days and this week, that you would truly open yourself up to God's will, to God's plan for your life. Let's just go to the Lord in prayer right now. God, I want to thank you for the example of men like Jonah. Men like like him. Men like Noah. They're just people just like us. And Father God, I thank you for those that are here this morning that have a strong sense of plan and purpose and your will for their lives. I thank you for them. But I want to continue interceding and praying for those that are on a journey, for those that feel they're drifting, for those that feel they don't have maybe a sense of purpose. I want to pray for those, Lord God, right now, at this moment, people that are in a relationship, that are in a marriage, that are in a ministry, that are in a church, that are in a job, And they're having serious doubts. Is this where God has me? Is this what God wants me to do with my life? 
I really, really pray for those people this morning. I pray that you would give them clarity and peace. I pray that you would give them hope. I pray, Lord God, that they would obey. I pray, Lord God, that we would yield. We would surrender to you. I pray, Lord God, that we would humble ourselves. And even if it means to do what you've called us to do reluctantly, that we do it, Lord God, until we see that harvest, until we see the great results, that we will serve you faithfully with all our hearts, with positive attitudes, Lord God, because you have prepared the way. You have prepared the soil. Lord God, we just give you our lives at this moment. We just surrender ourselves to you. And if you are connecting with this prayer at this moment, just as a sign to God, as a sign of surrender, I just want you to raise your hands up to the Lord and just say to the Lord, I surrender myself to you. Your will, not my will. Just say to the Lord, give me the right attitude in whatever my life and ministry and obligations are. Say this to the Lord. I ask you this, Lord, in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. God bless you all. We're going to ask the ushers to come forward. We're going to collect the morning offering. And just remember to deposit your um, communication cards in there with your prayer requests. And if you are visiting us for the first time, we do have those gift mugs at the hospitality guest table. We are not going to be having fellowship time at the, at the rear at the end of the service. We're going to be going to the gym for our potluck. So we're going to pray. Amen. Lord God, just come to you in prayer now as we prepare our hearts to give and through our offerings, Lord God, I ask you that you would just bless the cheerful giver and just continue using us here in First Baptist uh, during the summer with these different outreach events that we are engaged in. I pray, Lord God, that you would bless them and prosper them because we know that you've been preparing the hearts of people that are going to be giving their lives to Christ over the summer. So we just thank you, Lord, for this time. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.